That's our biography, isn't it? All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1 again. I believe the Lord's given me some light to understand the gospel in this passage, Brother Eric just read for us that I didn't have before, and I pray the Lord will bless it to you like he did me as I studied this this week. I'd like to begin the message with this statement. The God of heaven and earth, true and living God, is sovereign in all things. Every event that happens, happens because God's will is being done. At the exact time that uh, God willed it to be done from all of eternity. No matter what it is that's going on, as Brother Bob Boyd tells us so frequently, everything's right on schedule. Because God's sovereign in all things. And the reason behind everything that God does is the glory of his son and the salvation of his people. God is working every event of human time together to save his people, to bring them to faith in Christ, and ultimately to bring them to glory with him. And all those events have to happen just the way that they're happening in order for God to accomplish his will and his purpose. Now that's God's will. And absolutely nothing can stop that from happening. Nothing. If that were not true, Jonathan, I wouldn't bother preaching. If it was just left up to chance or left up to me talking to somebody into, into doing something, I'm not a salesman. I, I just wouldn't. But if God's sovereign in all things, and God will bless the preaching of his word to his glory and to the salvation of his people, then uh, I feel quite willing to preach where God preach Christ wherever God gives me the, the opportunity. And I have four points to show us this this morning, how God sovereignly works every event together for the glory of his Son and the salvation of his people. The title of the message is God's Sovereignty in All Things. Now here's the first point. This is one of the epistles, this letter to the Philippian church is one of the... Uh, the epistles we call a prison epistle. Paul wrote this in prison. Well, Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome because God put him there. Look here at verse 12. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, Paul's getting ready to tell us why it is that he is in prison, so we'll understand that it was God who put him there. And this is no accident. God put him there to accomplish his purpose, to save his people by the preaching of the gospel. Almighty God is accomplishing his will while Paul's in prison, just as much as when Paul traveled everywhere across the fruited plain preaching as a free man. Now, Paul was not in prison because the devil did it. Paul was not in prison because the forces of evil somehow temporarily prevailed against God and caused caused Paul to be put in prison and, and caused a delay in God's will and purpose. Paul was in prison in Rome because God put him there. God determined to put him there before time began and God put him there when it was time. While Paul was in prison there, he also wrote letters to the church at Ephesus and to his friend Philemon. And in those letters, Paul calls himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. 
the prisoner of the Lord. That's what he called himself. He didn't say, I'm a prisoner of, of, of uh, whoever was Caesar, Nero, whoever, I don't know who was Caesar at that time. I'm not prisoner of Caesar. I'm not prisoner of Rome. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you, the Roman army was impressive, weren't they? The entire Roman army could not keep Paul in prison if it was not God's will that he be there. And the entire Roman army couldn't, couldn't set him free if it was God's will that he be there. It was God's will that he be there. Paul was the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was there by the will of the Lord to accomplish God's will and purpose. Now, the same thing is true of you and me today. God hadn't changed. The same thing is true of you and me today. Our trials and our troubles. I mean, you know, it's easy for us to see when, when God blesses and, and things, you know, make you so happy. You say, oh, this is God's will, you know, for me. I, God's doing this. It's God's will. That's true. It's equally true of our trials and our troubles and the things that cause us such tears. They're sent to us by God on purpose. He purposed to do it before he ever said, let there be light. They're never an accident. Never. Never an accident. Now, that's true. I, I know you know that's true. Now, that doesn't take away the pain in the heartache. Say, well, this was God's will. Well, that, you know, but yeah, absolutely it was. But that doesn't take away the pain and the heartache, does it? That doesn't take away, away the tears. God sends pain and loss to his people, but now that doesn't take away the tears. Pain and loss still hurt, don't they? But I tell you this, knowing that our wise, loving, heavenly father, the one who gave his son to put away my sin, knowing that he's the one that sent the trial, that he's the one that sent the heartache, that comforts the heart, doesn't it? It just it, it doesn't take the pain away, but it comforts the heart. I tell you, I'd a whole lot rather have the events of my life, the events of the world in which we live, I'd a whole lot rather have all that directed by the will and hand and purpose of, of my Father than just blind luck. When you, I like that knowing. This is the, everything that happens here is God's will and purpose being carried out. So it's the Lord who put Paul in prison. And, you know, a lot of times the Lord sends us something, a trial, a trouble, a, sends something into our life, and we don't know why. We don't know why. And I'm of the opinion we probably won't know why most, most of the time. In this case, Paul knew why God put him in prison. And he tells us, so we'll know whenever it, whatever else it is going on, whatever else God's accomplishing, when, when whatever trial and heartache and trouble he sends us, He's accomplishing the same purpose. This is the purpose for, for Paul's trouble here that he's put in prison. It's for the furtherance of the gospel. That's why God does everything. For the furtherance of the gospel, to send the gospel to his people. That's what Paul says in verse 13. So that it's fallen out in verse 12 for the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. See, you and I would tend to think God put Paul in prison because now he's done with Paul, isn't he? He's going to put Paul on the shelf. He's done with Paul. And, you know, the, the people were, Paul would go preach and, and, and they'd beat him. They'd run him out of town. They'd try to kill him. Well, God's going to put Paul in prison and I'll teach you, you can't have the gospel anymore. You know, he's, he's, he's restricting the gospel. God didn't put Paul in prison to restrict the gospel. 
He put Paul in prison to spread it for the furtherance of the gospel, to send the gospel to God's people right where they were. People in the palace, in Caesar's court, heard Paul preach when he was in prison. And they believed Christ. <laughs> they, they saw this man preach. He's in standing there in chains. And they, they believed Christ. <laughs> they couldn't have heard any other way. This is God's way to send the gospel to them. Now we need to remember this. And I don't think that we can remind ourselves of this too often. About everything that God does. God's ways are not our ways. If you and me, if this is what we're going to do, we're going to spread the gospel in Rome. Here's what we would do. We would make Paul and Caesar friends. And, and they'd sit down to dinner and Paul would be telling them about the gospel and Caesar would, would come hear Paul preach in some nice place, maybe the Colosseum or something, you know, in Rome. And we'd save Caesar. And then we'd, we'd turn Caesar into a preacher. He'd preach to people in his court. He'd preach to people, you know, who are under his rule and spread the gospel all over Rome. That's what you and me would do. God put Paul in prison to accomplish that. <laughs> he put Paul in prison to spread the gospel in Rome. You think of that. People in the palace, they wouldn't have heard unless Paul was in prison. People at the prison wouldn't have heard unless Paul was in prison. And the church at Philippi is a place that ought to understand that exactly. How did the church at Philippi begin? Paul shows up in town and he finds a group of ladies down by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. Paul preached Christ to them. They threw Paul in prison. You know why God threw Paul in prison that day? So that jailer, I mean, Eric and I were talking about him the other day. This is a hardened, hardened man. He's, oh, he's hard. And he beat Paul and Silas, and he liked it. I mean, this is just, you know, it's part of the job, but I like it. You know why God did that? So Paul and Silas could preach to that old jailer and break that man's heart and reveal Christ to him and save him and his whole house. That's how the church at Philippi started, by Paul getting thrown in prison. These people understand, oh, this doesn't mean God's done with Paul. I see God's going to spread the gospel in this. I see how God could do that. See, Paul the preacher was in chains, but the gospel was never bound. The gospel, even though Paul was in chains, was spread to God's people right exactly where they were at the very moment God intended for them to hear of Christ and believe on him. Now, Paul was not in a, like a dungeon or something at, at this time. For whatever reason, they let him have his own hired house and, you know, more comfortable than, than being in a dungeon or something. 24-7, but while he was in this house, 24 hours a day, Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. And people would come to visit Paul, and they'd hear him preach. This is how Onesimus, remember he ran away from Philemon, and he ran away to the big city in Rome, and who'd he run into? Paul, he remembered him. He'd come visit at Philemon's house, and Onesimus remembered him, and maybe out of curiosity or whatever, you know, he went to hear Paul, and God saved him. Well, when Paul was preaching and Onesimus heard and believed Christ, you know who else heard? That Roman soldier who was chained to Paul. He heard too. Maybe he believed, I don't know, but he had to hear, didn't he? He had to hear. 
this is a good reason to bring our, our children to the service. They may not want to come, and maybe you don't have to put them in chains so they sit still and listen. But now, boy, you never know somebody's there when God opened their ears, you know? <laughs> we need to remember this. This is what we're called on to do. We're not called on to make results. We're called on to preach Christ to our generation. To our generation. And I promise you this. That message is going to accomplish God's purpose where until he sent it. I promise you he will. God's sheep are going to be saved. God's sheep are going to be called out. They're going to be instructed. They're going to be fed. They're going to be comforted. And I, I just guarantee that's going to happen. There's no power on earth can stop the gospel from reaching the hearts of God's people. It, it, it's utterly impossible because this is God's will and purpose, and he's pleased to do it through the preaching of the gospel. Now that encourages me to get up tomorrow morning and get in the book of Genesis and start getting ready for Wednesday night. And I hope it encourages you to, to give and to support this, this, this ministry and do what you can to support it because this is the responsibility that God's given, the joy that God's given us to preach the gospel to our generation. This is how God's going to save his people. And it's going to reach them. All right, here's the third thing. The gospel also spread at this time because other men stepped up to preach in Paul's absence. Look at verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now these were preacher brethren. They saw how bold Paul was being, even though he was in chains. He was arrested for preaching the gospel. Boy, it didn't change his message. He wouldn't compromise. He wouldn't be quiet. Even though he was in prison for it, he was so bold. And these men thought, wow, if Paul can be that bold, well, he's in prison. I can be that bold here in my pulpit, you know, where God's given me a chance to be the pastor. And they boldly and clearly preached the gospel. See, some people thought, oh, well, here's Paul. You know, he's, he's kind of the, the leader, you know, of, of this, this movement. Put him in prison. This whole thing's going to shut down. No, you, you, you try to quiet Paul down, it just spreads out. You know, more men started preaching boldly and clearly because nobody can stop the gospel from being preached to God's people. See, this is another way the gospel is never in chains. It's never bound up. God has more than one preacher. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, you live down there in Tennessee, aren't you glad Ashland is not the only place? God has more than one preacher. You can hear the gospel from more than one man. God has men. All, no, no matter how bleak it looks, God always has those 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. He's, he's reserved his people, and they're preaching the gospel. You know, it could be if Paul was out on one of his mission trips, and, and he preached the gospel, and the, the Lord's raised up a church. And, boy, there's this, there's this, this young man. He's he, he trying to pastor. He's trying to preach. He's got all this responsibility on him. He's worried. Is, you know, is he going to get hauled out and put in jail and stuff? And, and he sees Paul in prison. And boy, he starts boldly preaching Christ. Just as the gospel being preached there like it never was before. And God's people are being blessed. Christ is being preached and glorified in that place. God used another man. He used a, a man he sent there to be the pastor at that time. They're so glad Paul came through. Paul was a traveling missionary. I don't think he was ever a pastor in any one place. And he traveled through and he preached. And we're thankful, aren't we? But those people that God was pleased to say, that people he was pleased to begin that new work, you know how they were fed? 
You know how they grew in grace? You know how other believers came in? It was through the weekly preaching by a pastor that, that God raised up. It wasn't Paul. Paul was off someplace else now. It was that pastor God raised up in that place. That's how God feeds his church. That's how God causes his church to grow. It's the weekly preaching from the pastor. I, I just love that. How, how God sends his man to a specific place, to a specific people, and they just fit together. Well, that's what was happening as Paul was in prison. These other congregations were just flourishing, even though Paul was in prison, because these men who were pastoring, they just they more boldly preached Christ than ever before. Just how wonderful. You think how that is? It's just, oh, this is how only God would do things this way. But, just like today, Everything wasn't completely rosy. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing that affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. Now, all these men that Paul's talking about here, they were preaching the gospel. They were preaching Christ. They were preaching salvation in Christ. They were preaching Christ our righteousness. That's what Paul says, they're preaching Christ. They are preaching how the Father chose a people. And he put those people in Christ our surety. He he made Christ their surety before time ever began. And when only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed, Christ stood as the surety for his people. The Father gave him a people. He said, Father, I'll bring them home. Father, I'll redeem you, and I'll bring every one of them to you. I'll go pay for their sin by sacrificing myself for their... I'll become flesh and blood and sacrifice myself to put their sin away. I'll shed my blood to satisfy your justice against their sin. And Father, these people you've chosen, they're they're sinful people. They cannot keep your law. They're not going to be able to ever do anything but sin. But I'll come in the flesh, I'll come as their representative, and I'll obey the law for them. I'll give them a perfect righteousness by my obedience. And I won't just give them a righteousness. I will be their righteousness. I'll be their righteousness. I'll trade my righteousness for their sin. I'll make them the very righteousness of God in me when I shed my blood to pay for their sin. Father, these people, they're my sheep. And they're just like the animals that you're going to create and we call sheep. They're just not right bright. They're going to go the wrong way. They're going to get lost. They're going to be defenseless against wolves. But Father, I'll come and I'll be their shepherd. Oh, the good, I'll be the good shepherd. I'll give my life for the sheep. I'll go to find my lost sheep. They're all going to wander off. I'll go find them. I'll find every one of those lost sheep. Every one of them I'll pick up and put on my shoulder. I'll bring them home. I'll be the good shepherd. They can't protect themselves from the wolf, but I will. I'll protect them. I'll preserve them. They need to be led. Father, I'll lead them. I'll lead them to the green pastures of the word and teach them to feed in the green pastures of your word. I'll take them and lead them to drink by the deep, still waters of your word. Father, these people you've given me, they're spiritually blind, but I'll give them eyes. I'll give them eyes to see. And when I give them eyes to see, you know what they're going to see? They're going to see I'm their all. They'll see me. They'll believe. They're spiritually deaf. They're not going to be able to hear the gospel. They won't be able to hear it and believe it. 
But Father, I'll give them an ear to hear. And when they hear the word preached, you know what they're going to hear? They're going to hear me. And they'll believe me. Father, these people are dead. They're going to die in Adam. But I'll give them my life. So they have eternal life. I'll make them see this and believe this and love this. That I am the sum and substance of the gospel. I'm going to make them love me. I'm going to make them need me. I'm going to make them, make them believe on me and cling to me. That's what these men were preaching. That's preaching Christ. He's everything. That all the gospel's in him. That's what these men were preaching. They were preaching a mixture of law and grace. They were preaching Christ. That's what Paul said. Look at Galatians chapter 1. I know they were preaching Christ, or else Paul wouldn't have rejoiced. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I marvel you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. See, Paul's writing to correct this church. They start mixing grace and works. He, he can't stand for that. He said, no, that's, that's not another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. This is what Paul's got to say about that. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you've received, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Well, then I know these men were preaching Christ. They were not preaching a mixture of law and grace. They're preaching Christ, or else Paul wouldn't have rejoiced. But, some of them were doing it with the wrong attitude. Some were preaching Christ, Paul says, in envy. They were envious of the, Paul's success in the ministry. They just, they weren't content to preach the gospel to the people that God gave them to, to preach to and the people that God gave them to, to minister to. They were envious of Paul's success. They were envious of the numbers. They were envious of the, the love that people had toward Paul. And they just wanted to be recognized like Paul was recognized. They wanted to be loved like Paul was loved. They, they wanted to have that same success that Paul had. They're envious. And they thought, now is my chance to get those results. Now is my chance to draw those people to me because Paul's out of the way. They're preaching out of envy. Some were envious of the gifts that, that God had given Paul. They were envious of Paul's gifts in preaching. They are envious of his gifts in, in writing. You know, I'd like to remind these fellas... Along with those gifts came a thorn in the flesh and persecution to keep Paul humble. They weren't envious of the thorn, were they, in the flesh? But they're envious of the gifts. They're envious of the, of the, the love and things that Paul had. They, they wanted to be recognized as the best preacher around. And they thought, now's my chance. Paul's out of the way. And they're preaching very boldly, trying to, trying to get some, some recognition for themselves. Some were preaching Christ, but they're doing it with strife, strife with Paul. Now, something happened before Paul went in prison. These men had, had some, some strife. They, they must have argued over some matter that was insignificant. It, 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 doesn't, it didn't matter. They agreed on salvation in Christ. They agreed on redemption in the blood. They agreed on regeneration in the spirit. They agreed on these things, but they had some matter of indifference. 
some matter of law. Some matter, it doesn't change salvation the least. It doesn't affect your soul in the least. But they just got an argument over it. I mean, who knows if it was, it was church government. It was how you ought to dress or how long your hair ought to be. Or, I mean, I don't know what it was. Some matter of, of indifference. And they got to arguing over it. My soul. Well, now, you know what they, these men think? They're, they're preaching with strife. They think, mm-hmm, Paul's getting what he deserves. If he agreed with me on this matter of how long a fellow's hair ought to be or how long his robe ought to be or, you know, what color sandals he ought to wear, if he agreed with me on that, he wouldn't be in jail. But now he's in jail because he disagrees with me. How full of ourselves do we got to be to think that? That's, and they're thinking, well, if he agreed with me, you know. And they were just preaching so strong to Christ and because this is what they thought. Well, I just I want Paul to stay in prison a little longer so he'll learn not to disagree with me. My goodness. Others, thankfully, others, preach Christ in love. They preach the gospel in love for Christ. They preach the gospel to people in love for them. I tell people that uh, I never was old enough to go to Brother Henry's preacher school. I went to preacher school 10 minutes at a time. I was alone with Henry before the service. I was going to read for him or something or after service if we were alone. I went to preacher school 10 minutes at a time. And this is one of the lessons he taught me. He said, I don't care how gifted a man is in the scriptures and understand the scriptures. I don't care how how good he is at, at, at studying and being dedicated to, I don't care how good of an orator he is, how well that he can clearly he can say things if a man does not love people, he can't be a pastor he'll never be successful at it well that's a good that, I took that one to heart now I took that one to heart you just can't preach the gospel to people if you don't love them if you don't care for their souls these men were preached, they love Christ but they love people they want people to know Christ I want things to go well with you. I want you to, to have good jobs and homes and families and have happy marriages. I, want, I, I pray God bless you. Oh, I want you to know Christ. Oh, I want you to know Christ. You just can't preach the gospel without loving people. And they love Paul too. They loved him. They loved the Lord. They loved the gospel. It's just There's just no greater joy. God can give you than being able to talk about Christ, preaching Christ to people. They loved it. They loved it. And they wanted others to know Christ. Oh, I'll tell you. In case you've ever forgotten this, God's preachers are just like every other believer. We're, we're in the flesh and we act like it. And I apologize. And I'm not using that as an excuse but it's just a fact. I hate it. I hate it when preachers get this way. Because what we see happening today, happening in the early church and in Paul's day too. Here's a man. Now he preaches Christ. This man's a believer. He's, he preaches Christ. But he's just got some pet peeve. I mean, whatever it is, he's got some pet peeve out of what people ought to do or not to do or how they behave, how they ought not behave. And I mean, it's just, by golly, it's so important to him. And he just hammers on that. Well, here's a fellow over here that doesn't think that. That's not his pet peeve. He might have another one, but not that one. 
Well, they just can't have fellowship with each other. It's over this pet peeve. They let it come between them. They let, they're letting a matter of indifference come between them and stop their fellowship with one another. And I tell you what's worse. They're pushing their pet peeve on, on the congregation, on those that listen to them, and putting that burden on them. All that is is flesh. That's all it is. I can't tell you how hard I try not to do that. And if I do it, please forgive me. Just understand it's flesh. But this is just one man. He's got flesh and spirit. <laughs> it's acting like the flesh. That's all there is to it. And this is important for every believer, not just preachers, but every believer. We need to remember this. Our attitude in what we do is important, but our attitude in doing it is important. It's so important. A man can say all the, the right words. He can say all the right doctrines. He can say these things that are true from, from Scripture. But his attitude affects how hearing. You know, somebody could do something. You think about somebody doing you, you do you a favor. And they can do it with a, with a bad attitude, grumbling and complaining and letting you know, I'm doing this for you, but you're an inconvenience to me. What do you think? Well, just don't do it. It's not a blessing to you, is it? It's not a blessing to you. A man could preach that way, say the truth, but it just, it affects how I hear. Now, we have to have the truth. I mean, you know, we've got to go back to this. Paul said, these men are preaching Christ. We, I'm just not going to listen to somebody that's not preaching Christ. We have to have the truth, the gospel of Christ. It can't be a mixture now. Of working works and grace, it, it can't be a perversion of the gospel. It can't be leaving something out. It can't have that. We've got to have the truth of the gospel. But if I could pick, and I bet you'll say the same thing, I'd a whole lot rather hear a man preach the truth whose heart is bursting with love and has got a sincere attitude about this thing of worship. I'd a whole lot rather hear it from that man, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't care if he's not a good an orator or somebody else. If he stumbles over his words or doesn't pronounce some words right or he doesn't use, you know, a, a correct English. And a, I'd a whole lot rather hear him preach than somebody that's got all his ducks in a row but just got the wrong attitude. I feel I can say this because this is a quote from Brother Henry. Balaam's ass spoke the truth, but he was still an ass. I don't want to be that guy, do you? I don't want to be Balaam's ass. I'd rather hear a man preach Christ who loves Christ and cares whether or not loves me enough to want me to know Christ. I want to do something for somebody and let them know this, this, it's not a heartache for me doing this for you. It's a joy. Thank you for letting me do this for you. Have the right attitude. Now let me tell you how all, I said all that to get to the right, right here. This is the truth of the gospel. This is how God saves sinners. This is our attitude in, in worship and our attitude before the Lord. Attitude with each other. But here's how this fits into God's sovereignty and salvation. I sure am thankful my salvation doesn't depend on a preacher and his attitudes. I'm so thankful your salvation doesn't depend on my right attitude. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's bad. I try to hide that, but, you know. God uses his preachers to preach the gospel so his people hear 
and believe Christ. But listen, God saves sinners in spite of the preacher. Now, he uses the preacher, but in spite of the preacher's weaknesses, in spite of his flesh, God uses, it's the gospel that saves. It's Christ that saves. It's not the preacher. It's Christ. You know me. This does not excuse a bad attitude. But when we have a bad attitude, this is my comfort. I haven't derailed God's purpose. (laughs) His purpose is still being accomplished. And the church is just much better off if all of us, especially preachers, but all of us, are focused on Christ. Preaching Him and worshiping Him and seeking Him. If we're trying to see Christ and all we see is Christ, we're not going to have time for these other issues. We're just not going to see Him. The the glory of Christ is going to overwhelm us and those things will fade into insignificance. That's why I want to preach Christ, so we see him. We see him. All right, here's the last thing. God is sovereign. God always does his will. There's nothing that happens on this creation that's not God's will. Yet, God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. Look at verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now the word salvation here doesn't mean the salvation of Paul's soul. He means deliverance from prison. Paul wanted people to pray that he'd be set free from prison. I don't want to be here anymore. You know, Peter was in prison one time. Remember all the people were together praying that, that Peter would be delivered from prison? And an angel came and opened the doors and delivered Peter. And Peter came knocking on the, on the door. And they heard it was Peter. Now they're praying that the Lord delivered Peter. And they didn't believe that Peter was out there. <laughs> but he was delivered, wasn't he? And Paul said, maybe the Lord do that for me. And the Lord's able. Would, would you pray the Lord deliver me from prison? And this is the point I want us to take from this. The Lord uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his sovereign will. This is just the way God works. God's will is going to be done. And I can't think, well, you know, it doesn't matter what I do because God's just going to do his will. So it doesn't matter what I do. No, sir. God's will and purpose is always done. You're absolutely right. But here's how God works. This is just the way he's pleased to work. Whenever God's getting ready to do something, you know what he does? He puts it on the heart of his people to pray for it. And then he does it. So whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, whatever concern, whatever it is, pray. Pray. Need mercy? Ask God for mercy. Need deliverance? Need from a trial, you heal. Pray. You need God to provide. You need to ask. Is the trial crushing? You need grace sufficient? Well, brother, pray for it. Pray. You concerned about the souls of your loved ones or people that you know? Pray. Whatever it is, God's laid on your heart. Where the scripture tells us at all times about all things, pray. Your heavenly Father hears. And he works through the prayers of his people. So God's sovereign. We don't have a doubt about that, do we? Don't have any doubt about that. God's going to save his people. And how that thrills my heart. And I want Christ to be preached. I want him to be preached everywhere. And I pray, Lord, give us the right attitude in this thing. Not just to be concerned, you know, with, with me and mine. And I want this place to be, you know, as popular as this place or as big as this place. 
if Christ is our focus, we're going to be thrilled wherever Christ is preached, wherever God's pleased to, to call out his people. We're not in competition with other congregations and other preachers. We're laborers together. We're laborers together. I'd like for us to, to strive together, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Now, sadly, that's not always the case. And I, I wish I knew why the Lord does it. I, I don't know all the reasons. But here's what I think is one reason. Why the Lord allows these things to happen. You know, this preacher's got this pet peeve and he gets crossways of this one over here. But they're both preaching Christ. i tell you one reason I think God does it. It's so we don't get so caught up in that cracked clay pot and we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that we esteem the treasure more than the clay pot. That clay pot's cracked from time to time. But the treasure's not. God give us faith in the treasure. Focus on the treasure and these other things will fall into place, don't you reckon? Let's bow together. Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you for salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, how can we ever thank you for him? That someone as glorious and wonderful as your darling son would pay such a horrible price to redeem vile sinners such as we are, as low as we are. Father, how we thank you. And Father, how I pray that you give each heart here this morning faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might leave here looking to Him, clinging to Him. Father, I pray You'd fill our senses, that You just, so that we can't see or smell or hear anything but Christ our Savior. And as we look to Him, Father, cause us to be a, a blessing and a help to one another. Give us the right attitude of humility, submission before Christ our Savior and to one another. Father, how we beg of you that you would deliver us from becoming a stumbling block to Christ for some poor sinner, for some of our brothers or sisters. Cause us to be a help and encouragement to one another as we strive together for the glory of Christ our Savior. Father, it's for his glory. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right. Isaac, come lead us in a closing hymn if you would.